everybody. I'm David Bach, author of the brand new book, The Latte Factor. If you haven't got a copy yet, jump over to my website at davidbach.com or thelattefactor.com. You'll see a bunch of good bonuses there for you when you buy the book off our website. And now, without further ado, super excited to welcome you again to the Latte Factor podcast. You ever go to the store and you buy something, and let's just say it's $7, and you get home and you look at the box and you say to yourself, this was a ripoff. This doesn't cost $7 to make. Why did I pay so much for it? Well, you paid so much for it because there's what's called a brand tax. You're actually paying for all the money that was spent to get that brand out into the world and onto the shelves. Well, what if there was a better way? What if you could get the same product for a lower price? What if that same product was healthier for you? What if it tasted better? What if you could just get a better deal on the same exact thing? Well, now you can with hundreds of products. And the way you can get them is with a company that I love. It's called Brandless. Brandless.com. I like this company so much that when it launched, I invested in it. And then I became a brand ambassador for them. And they're sponsoring the Latte Factor podcast. So I want you to go check out their website, Brandless.com. Now, when you go to Brandless.com right now, my listeners, they've got a special deal for you. When you spend over $48, shipping is free. So go to Brandless.com forward slash the Latte Factor. And you can see my favorite products. And again, receive free shipping on orders of $48 or more. That's brandless.com forward slash the latte factor. Please go check them out. Hi, everybody. I'm David Bach. Welcome to my brand new podcast. It's called the Latte Factor Podcast. We're putting it out because I have a brand new book coming out, my 13th book called The Latte Factor. And so we're going to be talking about it over these next seven podcasts. And I just really, really am grateful to be here with you. This is a very emotional, special moment for me. Um, I, I'm almost, I have chills as I, as I record this. I'm sitting in a studio in New York City. The studio is CDM Studio. I sat in this exact studio 16 years ago, and I recorded the Automatic Millionaire audiobook. 16 years ago, in the exact same location. In fact, I think that you might have the exact same tables here as I look around. <laughs> but it's so good to be back. I'm so grateful that I've kept so many of these relationships over the years. I'm just beyond excited to talk to you about this brand new book. So, you know, without further ado, I'm, I, we're going to do a Q&A in this podcast but the beginning of today's podcast, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to read you the first three chapters of the Latte Factor book. And depending on when you listen to this, this book will come out May 7th. So if you're in my community, you're going to get this podcast before the book comes out. But if you listen to this after May 7th, the book will be in stores. And, and when you go to get the actual audio, um, the audio that you will listen to will not be narrated by me. And the reason is that, as you'll learn here in a second, um, the main character of this book is a young woman named Zoe Daniels. She's 27 years old. And I just felt that the book should be narrated by a, by a young woman in her 20s. So I didn't think it should be done by a guy. And um, But the book's not been narrated yet. So what I thought I would do is come into the studio and record the first three chapters for you so you could listen to it in advance. And then um, we're going to do a Q&A. The back of the book has a Q&A about this book. And then we're going to do a seven-part series on that. So I really hope you enjoy this. And by the way, if you're not a part of my community yet, please go over to my website. It is davidbach.com. 
B-A-C-H.com, davidbach.com. And on our website, you'll see at the very top of the website, like you always see on websites, an opt-in box where you can put in your email. And then you're part of my community. It's all free. And I send out newsletters. It's called the Three Minute Sunday Newsletter. I designed it so you can read it in three minutes. Um, and I write that a couple times a month and just kind of share my best ideas. And so please come over and join us in that community. And now without further ado, I'm going to read you the dedication from the brand new book, The Latte Factor, Why You Don't Have to Be Rich to Live Rich. So on the dedication page, the first dedication, there's three of them. The first one's to Oprah Winfrey, who allowed me the opportunity to share The Latte Factor on your life-changing show and reach tens of millions of people. And Oprah, I can't thank you enough. Um, you know, God bless you for letting me launch the Latte Factor on your show. That was such a life-changing experience and allowing me the chance to teach the Latte Factor to tens of millions of people. And I'm so grateful to you for not just having me on once, but having me back a half a dozen times to do so many shows with you and touch so many people's lives. I really, I really just salute you. The second person this book is dedicated to is Paulo Coelho. And I wrote, your words, David, you must write this book pushed me to finally write The Latte Factor. Paulo, you'll never know how much you changed my life when we were together in Geneva. For those of you who don't know who Paulo Coelho is, I don't even know if that's possible, but Paulo Coelho is, in my humble opinion, the greatest author of our lifetime. His book, The Alchemist, changed my life. If you haven't read it, you should read it. And I have always wanted to meet Paulo, and I had the chance to go to Geneva and have dinner with him back in 2012. We had an amazing dinner. We closed the restaurant down, and then we went out to a bar, and we pretty much closed that bar down. And around 3 in the morning, Paulo looked at me and, and said, David, what is the book you want to write that you have not yet written yet? And I, after many glasses of wine, I looked at Paulo, and I said, I have this book, The Latte Factor, I want to write. I, I want to write this little book that will translate all over the world— and truly touch millions of people's lives to realize that they're richer than they think, that you don't have to be rich to live rich, and that, you know, your dreams are closer than you realize. And he literally looked at me, he put his hands on mine, and, and, and he stared into my eyes, and he said, then, David, you must write that book. And wow, and here we are. So, Paulo, thank you. And lastly, and certainly not least, is to my wife, Alicia Bradley-Bach. And I write who listened to me talk about doing this book for a decade and never doubted that I would. It's true, honey. You listened to me talk about this book for a decade and you always said, great, go do it. Great, go do it. How's it coming? I can't wait to read it. So thank you so much. I'm beyond grateful to all of you and I'm grateful to you for being here. So now without further ado, I'm going to start reading to you the first three chapters of my brand new book, The Latte Factor. Why you don't have to be rich to live rich. The Latte Factor. Atria is the publisher. By the way, that's a division of Simon Schuster. Chapter 1. The Oculus. Boarding the L train to work Monday morning, as she did every day, Zoe took a sip of her double-shot latte and thought about the photograph. She thought about it for the full 40 minutes it took to travel west and then south from Brooklyn to her last stop in lower Manhattan and she thought about it as she stood to exit the train, along with a thousand other passengers. What was it about that photograph? The subway car doors opened, and Zoe became a drop in the ocean of commuters as it poured through Fulton Center. 
the hub where nearly every subway line in lower Manhattan converged. The wave carried her along through the gray-tiled passageway and out into the huge open space below the World Trade Center, where Zoe stopped, rooted in place, as people flowed around her. She glanced up at the cavernous ceiling. It looked like the ribs of an enormous bird cast in white steel, a phoenix risen from the ashes of 9-11. She began moving again, feeling the hugeness of the place as she walked. 600 feet of pure white Italian marble. It was like being in a gigantic cathedral. The Oculus. Gateway to one of the most famous memorials and tourist destinations in the world. Zoe passed through it every day. Twice, in fact. Once on the way to work, and then again on the way home. Yet she never really stopped to take it in. She entered the white marble, lined West Concourse, passageway, with its enormous LED wall display to her left, nearly a football field in length. Normally, she ignored the constant rotation of advertisements and public service announcements, intent only on getting to the escalator. Today, the image splashed across the big screen made Zoe stop on her tracks once more. The picture showed a fishing boat, complete with crew and nets, very much like the boat in that photograph, the one she couldn't get out of her mind, only rather than rocking in the water at Dockside, this boat sat stranded in the middle of a desert. Strange, thought Zoe, strange and strangely unsettling. As she watched, giant letters scrolled across the image, spelling out a message. If you don't know where you're going, you might not like where you end up. Moments later, the image dissolved, replaced by more ads. Zoe walked on. Reaching the end of the passageway, she stepped onto the escalator, which carried her two stories up and into the sunlit glass atrium. She walked outside and turned back towards West Street, the sun in her eyes to face the building where she worked. One World Trade Center, the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere. This was her daily routine. She loved standing in the spot, tipping her head way back and looking straight up, trying to see the top of the enormous tower as it stretched towards the sky. Today, though, her mind was elsewhere. If you don't know where you're going, you might not like where you end up. It was an ad for something. Insurance company, car company, travel app. She couldn't quite remember what. Hadn't Jessica had something to do with that slogan? It seemed to her that this was one of Jess's accounts, whatever it was they were advertising. Yet this morning, somehow, it felt like a personal message directed right at Zoe, and it nodded her. Just like that photograph, the one she couldn't get out of her mind. She suddenly remembered the latte in her left hand and took a sip. It had gone cold. Normally, she would now cross the street, enter the building, and take the elevator up to her office on the 33rd floor. Today, she diverted from her usual path. After crossing over West Street, she took a sharp right, heading away from One World Trade and walked toward the reflecting pools, the two enormous square fountains built on the precise footprints of the original Twin Towers. 
bordered by short black marble walls with an endless stretch of names carved into their top surfaces. The 9-11 Memorial. She stopped at the North Pole and looked down at the surging water below, felt the surface of the marble and read the first dozen names. There were so many of them. Thousands of people had died here in those dark days of September 2001. Zoe had been in grade school. She glanced over at the great ribbed wings of the Oculus, jutting up among the skyscrapers, a block away. Why did everything look so different to her today? If you don't know where you're going, you might not like where you end up. Where exactly was it that Zoe was going? Where exactly did she expect to end up? Had she ever really thought about that before? A man stopped for a split second to glare at the watch on his wrist and then hurried on. Zoe stirred. She was going to be late for work. She started to turn away to head back towards One World Trade Center, but something held her in place. Instead, she stepped over to one of the nearby concrete benches and she sat down, cold latte in hand, as the stream of tourists, commuters, and locals flowed past. She spoke softly to no one but herself. What am I doing with my life? Chapter 2. The Photograph Zoe's day hit with full force the moment she stepped out of the elevator and on the 33rd floor, as it did every Monday morning. The spring issue deadline was coming up on Friday and everybody in the office was in full production mode. A flood of articles, bios, and photo captions all clamored for Zoe's attention. Mountain biking in Ecuador, wine tasting the Balkans, photo essays with famous travelers' names in the bylines, and it was her job to shape and polish their scribbles into perfect, sparkling prose. Zoe worked at a large publishing company with offices in One World Trade Center, the Freedom Tower, they called it, which always seemed a little ironic to Zoe because as much as she liked the rush of work, she would hardly describe the time she spent within those walls as free. She was grateful for the position, but she worked punishing hours, and the pay was not nearly as glamorous as the readers probably would have guessed. And talk about irony. Here she was, 27 years old, an associate editor for a world-famous travel magazine, and she'd never been outside the U.S., or west of the Mississippi, for that matter. She didn't even have a passport a travel editor who never traveled. She plopped down her laptop, flipped it open, logged onto the staff network and got to work, her fingers flying over the keyboard. Zoe thrived on the chaos of it. The insane deadlines, the last-minute content changes, the challenges of taking a piece of decent to mediocre writing and shaping it into a thing of quality. She pushed away that vague sense of unease she'd had, and she hunched over her keyboard, as she slipped in the rhythm of the place. Are we hungry yet? Zoe straightened in her chair and rotated her neck to get out the kinks. Was it really already past one o'clock? She turned to find her boss watching her from behind the half partition that defined Zoe's workstation. Even virtual world travelers have to eat sometime, her boss added. Barbara was not as hip or fashion forward as most of the magazine staff. In the upscale environment of lower Manhattan, it sometimes seemed to Zoe that Barbara was a visitor from a small town who had never quite adapted to her new environment. More or less the opposite of Jessica, in other words. But she was exceptionally smart. And she had a natural empathy and keen sense 
of what was going on underneath the surface of things. Zoe supposed that was what made her such a great editorial director. When Zoe first started there six years earlier, it was Barbara who made the hire, and the two had clicked immediately. Barbara had high expectations and exacting standards. She was a tough boss in that sense, but she didn't push people. It was more like she pulled. It wasn't that you were afraid of her. It was that you didn't want to disappoint her, and Zoe never did. She was a ferocious editor and very good at her job. Famished, said Zoe. She put her laptop to sleep and followed Barbara to the elevator to head upstairs for lunch. The company cafeteria overlooked downtown Manhattan and the Hudson with a good view of the Statue of Liberty. With its open spaces and austere decor, the cafe looked like any high-end Manhattan lunch spot. When Zoe first started working there, she'd had to get used to the occasional celebrity sightings. Barbara had bought her simple lacquer lunchbox, which she unpacked with deliberate care, while Zoe went through the lunch line and selected a complicated chicken salad with quinoa, marcona almonds, and organic baby greens. As she began picking at her salad, she made a stab at chatting about the article she was currently working on. But small talk was not her forte and she trailed off after two sentences. In that brief silence that followed, Barbara worked on her sandwich and regarded Zoe. So, she finally said, you seem off your game today. Everything okay? There was that Barbara perceptiveness for you. Zoe had tried to forget all about that strange mood that had taken her over this morning, but her boss had sensed it anyway. She took a quiet breath and let it out. She wasn't quite sure where to start, because she didn't fully understand herself. You'll think this is weird, Zoe began. Barbara took another bite of her sandwich and nodded, as if to say, go on. On the way to the train in the morning, there's this coffee shop where I always stop right in Williamsburg. As she began describing where the place was located, Barbara nodded again. Helena's coffee. You know it? Barbara looked at Zoe over her sandwich and said, and? Okay, Zoe began. So there's this framed photograph hanging on the back wall. I mean, there's a lot of framed photographs there. The place is covered with them. But there's this one in particular. You could just see it from the order line up front, where Zoe would wait for her latte and breakfast muffin. Helena's was the kind of place where the snack items were always ultra-fresh. The coffee was reliably delicious, and the prints on the wall were stunning. She described the photograph and then went silent as she worked on her salad. And? added Barbara after a moment. And I don't know. I've just been thinking about it. That's all. I'm not sure why. Zoe carved clean sentences for a living, but she wasn't doing a very good job of it right now. And you want it? Zoe sighed. Of course she wanted it. It was a simple enough scene. A little seaside village at dawn. The first rays of sunlight casting an amber-golden glow that sparkled like jewels in the foreground, a fishing boat crew readying their vessel to head out to sea. Golden hour, they called it. That time just after sunrise, when the light reddened and became almost liquid. To Zoe, there was something magical about it. A hushed moment bursting with unseen energy, held suspended for all time on a silken thread. The photo print was good-sized, probably four feet wide by three feet high. Even so, she'd never seen 
much detail because she never spent enough time in the place to go over and really study it. Every morning she would leave her apartment, usually a little late, rush to the coffee shop to pick up her double-shot latte and muffin, then fast walk to the stop just in time for the l train to whisk her off to Manhattan. She barely had time for a glance around as she paid for her order. Yet even in those brief glimpses, there was something about the photograph that always called to her. This morning, she paused a half a minute longer to take it in, moved a step or two closer. It was just one little moment, really, but it had been enough to fix the picture vividly in her mind. She knew just the spot on her living room wall where she would hang it. Although maybe a living room was a stretch, more like a living room, dining room, home office. Zoe lived with a roommate in a cramped little apartment, and it wasn't much to look at. That big sunlit oceanside scene would transform the place. It's not that I want to own it necessarily, it's just, just what? The photograph had stirred up feelings in Zoe that she couldn't quite describe, let alone explain. I don't know, she shook her head, as if dismissing the thought. I don't even know that it's for sale. And anyway, even if it is. And Barbara spoke the next four words together with her, the two in perfect unison. I can't afford it. In the song that was Zoe's life, that was the chorus. The verses might be inspiring, adventurous, or contemplative. I'd love to go back to school, tour the American Southwest, travel Europe, have a place with an actual bedroom where I could write and do some yoga. But they always came back around the same refrain. But I can't afford it. And she truly couldn't. Brooklyn wasn't as expensive as living in Manhattan, but it was still pricey. And then there were her student loans, which sat in her like a hundred-pound backpack filled with bricks. It was a good thing she lived in the city where she didn't need a car, because she had one, it probably would have been repossessed by now. Car? Ha! The way things were going, her bicycle would probably be repossessed by summertime. Zoe was skilled with words and had a good visual sense, but numbers? Not her thing. She was terrible with money. Always had been. She tried to organize herself with a budget, as her mother had urged her to do. Budget! Being probably Zoe's least favorite word in the English language. That, of course, had been a dismal failure. At work, she was fiercely structured and productive, but when it came to her own money, she had zero discipline. That was just the way things were. Here it was, March, and she was still buried in car charges she'd been running up buying the previous year's round of Christmas presents for friends and family. Probably those from the year before that, too. If she took the time to sort through the statements, Charges on top of charges on top of charges. Yes, Zoe liked her job and she was good at it. But she had to admit, she was barely making ends meet. In fact, the ends weren't really meeting at all, more like catching glimpses of each other from across the room every now and then. Zoe thought she would qualify as a poster child for the phrase, living paycheck to paycheck. Whatever that photo print actually cost, If it was for sale at all, it was certain to be a chunk of cash she'd not just have lying around, waiting to be spent on a whim. Barbara's voice cut into her thoughts. 
You should talk to Henry. Henry? The older guy you see in there in the mornings, making the coffee. That's Henry. It took Zoe a moment to register what Barbara was talking about. You mean at the coffee shop? You know, the barista at Helena's? Barbara stood up, closing her empty lunchbox, as she did. Known him for years. You should go in and talk to him. He sees things. She paused. He sees things differently. Talk to the barista, said Zoe, and say... Barbara gave Zoe her trademark blank expression. A face that saw everything and gave nothing away. Just talk to him. Tell me love the print. See what he says. Zoe frowned. Trust me, said Barbara. He's resourceful. And he'll help me do what exactly? Pick the right lottery ticket? Barbara shrugged. Probably not that. But you said it yourself. You can't afford it. And that bothers you. Am I right? Zoe said nothing. Of course she was right. She was Barbara. Well then, said Barbara, do something about it. Talk to Henry. Heading back to her desk, Zoe felt a twinge of guilt. She hadn't told Barbara what was really nagging at her. It wasn't just the photograph. It was the other thing. The agency job. Two Fridays ago over drinks, her college roommate, Jessica, told her about a position opening up at the media agency uptown where Jess worked. You're a hard worker, Zoe. She said, you're smart. You're a fantastic writer and people love you. You'd be perfect. So Zoe had slipped uptown one day the week before an interview for the job. That same night, Jessica called and told her that from what she'd heard, Zoe was the odds-on favorite. There were a ton of candidates, Zoe, but you hit it out of the park. Sure enough, this past Friday, the agency called to give her the news. She was officially their first choice. If Zoe wanted the job, it was hers for the taking, and at a considerably higher pay than her current post. She knew it would mean higher stress and a brutal schedule, which didn't thrill her at all, but the agency's salary would really turn things around for her. She talked with Mom about it again over the weekend. Her mother wasn't so sure about the idea. Oh, Z, Mom had said, be happy with what you have. Besides, sweetheart, money won't make you happy. Oh, Z, Mom had said, be happy with what you have. Besides, sweetheart, money won't make you happy. Money won't make you happy? How many times had Zoe heard that growing up? Her father had gotten on the phone, too, which was unusual. Think about this, Zoe, he said. Zoe knew what that meant. I don't want to come right out and say you should take the job, but yeah, maybe you should take the job. Her dad had made decent money as a general contractor. Until his health forced him to ride a desk at some building supply company. It was far less pay, and she suspected far less fun. But they were managing, although Mom sounded even more worn out than usual lately. Be happy with what you have. Her parents were not unhappy. She was sure of that. But could she describe them as truly happy? And what about Zoe herself? She thought again about that strange image from the Oculus that morning, of the boat beached in the middle of the desert, if you don't know where you're going. The people at the agency uptown had given Zoe a week to work out the details of leaving her current job and make her decision official, which meant that if Zoe wanted the job, she needed to give them a firm commitment by this Friday, after which she and Jessica would celebrate the deal together at their usual Friday meet-for-drinks after work date. The only other alternative Zoe could see was to keep struggling on her current salary and hope for another promotion. And meanwhile, maybe take on some additional freelance writing or editing 
jammed somehow along with the extra load of work she typically brought home from her day job into the evenings and weekends, an idea that definitely did not thrill her. But what other options did she have? Chapter 3. You're richer than you think. Do something, Barbara had said. The next morning, Zoe did something. She got ready for work, and she left her apartment 15 minutes early. She didn't see the point in talking to the barista, as Barbara had urged, but at least she could spend a little time inside Helena's coffee and get a closer look at that photo print. She put in her order, she stood in line, and then took her double-shot latte and began strolling through the place, taking it all in. Exposed brick, vaulted ceiling, painted black so it all but disappeared. Big pendant lamps with full-spectrum bulbs and big, artfully lit photographs covering the walls, making the place feel like one of Brooklyn's trendy art galleries. Trendy, but old school. She walked around the coffee shop perimeter, looked at the sequence of prints. Some were breathtaking panoramas, snow-covered mountaintops, raging rivers caught in mid-splash, vast forest tracks. A few were in locations she thought she recognized from her work at the magazine. There was a shot of the Great Wall, another of a few young men working the family vineyard in the Italian Piedmont, a brilliantly colored flock of macaws in the Peruvian rainforest. They were all amazing, but she kept walking until she reached the photograph. This was the one. This one. She stood in place some six feet back, gazing at it. It was not a spectacular scene, really, at least not on the surface. A seaside village at dawn, a little fishing boat just visible on the right, preparing for the day's catch. People trundling to and fro along the little harbor, going about their village business. What was it exactly that drew her so? She took a few steps closer, enough to read the tiny printed inscription, posted just below the right-hand corner. Ah, so it did have a price tag. Twelve hundred dollars. Zoe's heart sank pricey for a photo, but then this was an exceptional piece, wasn't it? And really, $1,200 was not all that much in the big scheme of things. It was less than a month's rent. Zoe ought to be able to afford it, but she couldn't remember the last time she'd seen that kind of money, just sitting in her bank account, available to spend on whatever she wanted. Oh, right. Now, she remembered when. That would be never. She bent down and looked at the label again to see where the shot was taken, but it didn't say. In fact, other than the price, the only information provided was the photograph's title, which consisted of a single word in quotes. Yes. Yes? It seemed like an odd title for a photo of a seaside village. Yes what? Although now that she looked at it again, it certainly felt like a yes to her. What was the location? Had to be one of those Greek islands. Where are you, she murmured. Rhodes? Santorini? No, that wasn't it. Crete? Mykonos. The voice was so close to her ear it made Zoe jump, and she nearly spilled her latte. Sorry, the man said. Didn't mean to sneak up on you. You were pretty focused there. He nodded at the photograph. Caught your eye, that one? Zoe nodded. It's beautiful. The light's amazing. Very yes. She added, pointing at the label. The elderly man peered at the label, then nodded. She stuck out her hand. I'm Zoe. Zoe Daniels. The man shook her hand. His skin was dry and cool like fine canvas. Henry Hyden, he said. Pronounced it Hyden, as in hide and seek, like the composer he added, though not as famous. Henry, she said. Of course, she recognized him now. The barista, 
may be more famous than you realize. The man cocked his head as if to say, oh, my boss told me about you, Zoe explained. She said I should come in and talk to you. Ah, he said, about what? Zoe opened her mouth to answer, then closed it again and then grinned at him. You know, I have no idea. He smiled and nodded toward the photo. Don't see a lot of people gravitate to this one, he said. Mostly people are drawn to the dramatic shots, you know. Mountains, canyons, rivers, rapids, things like that. Zoe could understand that. This one, though, she said, it just seems so alive. Henry nodded. Personally, it's my favorite out of all of them. Zoe stood and did a 360-degree turn, looked all around the place, then back at Henry. Mine, too. He cocked his head again. Well, it's not taken, you know. Zoe laughed. I wish, but I'm afraid I couldn't afford it. Henry nodded at the latte in her hand. If you can afford that latte, he said, and he tipped his head back towards the wall. You can afford this photograph. Sorry, she said. Had she heard him right? That made no sense at all. Perhaps, said Henry, you're richer than you think. She gave him a puzzled smile, thinking, what an odd thing to say. Still, she liked his energy. That's a very nice thought, she said. Really, though? I'm just looking. She leaned closer again, scouring the background for detail. The narrow cobblestone streets, whitewashed houses, the royal blue doors and shutters. Mykonos, you think? Henry leaned in, too, then slowly nodded. I do. It's so beautiful, Zoe sighed. What I'd really love, she spoke softly, as if talking to herself, is to be there. Smell that salt spray. Hear those seagulls. Taking the whole scene with my own eyes and ears. She straightened up again with a self-conscious laugh, then spoke in her normal voice. Anyway, that's totally out of the question. Totally out of the question. He repeated, speaking slowly, as if musing over the words. He cocked his head at her. But that would depend on the question, no? Zoe wasn't sure what to say to that. You like photography, he said. Tell me. Do you know the term Oculus? By Fulton Center, she said. I'm actually headed there right now. No, 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 he said. Not the structure. I mean, in photography, Zoe frowned. Oculus, he repeated. It means figuring out where you want to stand. Where you stand and what you see from there is the key to putting together the right picture. That's what creates the perspective you want. You know what I mean? Zoe nodded, although to be honest, she was not at all sure she did. In photography, the Bristol continued, the oculus is where you place the camera. It's Latin for eye, only it's really your eye, because you see the picture first. You see in your mind's eye, in your oculus. Okay, said Zoe. She had never looked into the word's meaning. Now I'm saying photography at it, but you could just as easily say a story you're going to write a trip you're going to take, a meal you're preparing in your kitchen for friends who will be over in an hour or two. The point is, you're standing there, and there are three things. You, your lens, and the world. What will you create? What did Barbara said? He's resourceful. To Zoe, eccentric was the word that was coming to her mind, but sweet, genuinely, definitely old school, like the coffee shop itself. Henry Hyden glanced back towards the front of the shop, as if to make sure he wasn't needed there. The Brooklyn hipster with the beanie and a long beard behind the counter caught his eye and called over. No worries, Henry. We're all good. 
Henry looked back at Zoe and tilted his head towards a little high-top table in the corner. Join me for a moment? Zoe smiled. Why not? She followed him over to the little table where they each took a tall stool. He picked up a well-worn moleskin notebook that lay on the table. He flipped open the cover, took a brushed steel drafting pencil from a jacket pocket, and began sketching, his hand flying over the page. A few seconds later, he turned the notebook so she could see it. A grave plot and tombstone with neat lettering on it. Zoe Daniels. And he wrote, Born? Question mark. Let's say this is the end of your life. Really, said Zoe dryly. So sad she died so young. Henry chuckled. Humor me. Let's say we're writing your epitaph. Call it your Oculus. He tapped the sketch with his pencil. Here is where you're standing. Looking back at the picture you've composed. Your life. So what does that landscape look like? Zoe's breath caught. She hadn't been able to put it into words. But what he just said was exactly what had been bothering her the last few days. What did the landscape of her life look like? She didn't know. If you don't know where you're going, you might not like where you end up. You see, said Henry, the picture happens first in your mind's eye, before you shoot. That picture is where everything starts. That picture is what guides it all. Your Oculus. Zoe's phone buzzed. She glanced down. A text from an eager intern at work early, wanting to know which set of copy edits to start with. You need to get to work, ventured Henry. I really do, said Zoe apologetically. Thanks for the, for the chat. She wasn't sure what else to call it. Art lessons, note on perspective. Nice talking with you, said Henry as she got to her feet and headed for the door. Come back any time. When Zoe arrived at the 33rd floor, the office was already in peak production uproar. She had a three-minute tactical meeting with the eager intern, checked in with the art department, then plopped down her laptop and lost herself in the crush of work. Still, she couldn't quite stop her brain from mulling over her cryptic chat with the eccentric barista at Helena's. Howard Barber put it, he sees things differently. Well, that was for sure, she murmured to herself. The more she thought about their conversation, the less sense it made. Where you stand and what you see from there is the key to putting together the right picture. That's what creates a perspective you want. You know what I mean? Honestly, not a clue. Then there was that comment about her coffee. If you can afford that latte, you can afford this photograph. And then this, perhaps you're richer than you think. What was that about? Zoe did not sleep well that night. The truth was, she didn't really sleep well any night. Typically, she'd wake up somewhere between 2 and 3 in the morning and lie awake, unable to drift back off, worrying. Not about anything specific, just a general kind of worrying. That night, though, was worse than usual. This night, though, was worse than usual. This night, after waking up, she did drift off again, and the worry followed her into her dreams. She was jogging on the treadmill at the gym. Suddenly, the machine sped up a notch, even though she hadn't touched any of the controls. No problem. She picked up her pace. The machine abruptly sped up again. She started running to keep up with it. She tried frantically to press the down button to slow the treadmill, but instead it picked up yet again and again, 
going faster and faster. She was sprinting now, racing full out, her heart pounding out of her chest, but she couldn't keep up. She woke with a gasp, her t-shirt drenched in sweat. Slowly, she sat up in bed and felt in the dark for the glass of water on her nightstand as her eyes adjusted and her heart rate gradually downshifted from terror to earnest, thump, 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 and finally to something approaching normal. You didn't need a PhD in psychology to interpret that little drama. She was on a 50-hour-a-week treadmill she couldn't control. Brooklyn to Manhattan in the a.m., Manhattan back to Brooklyn in the p.m. Money in, money out. Usually more out than in. And a creeping sense that through it all, she was running for her life and going nowhere fast. Gazing at her apartment walls, in the semi-darkness, she felt as always in those moments when she was really honest with herself that some element was absent in her life, something important. Love? No, she was young. There was plenty of time for that. Friends? No, she had Jessica and others. What was missing in her life, she thought, was the living part.